Welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. We'll dig into the big questions like how to overcome fears, how to plan and execute a large project, and finding the things that drive you, finding your true north. In this episode, I'll be talking with my friend Mislav Moroknic. We met when we were both traveling through Portland, Oregon this last summer. Mislav is a softwares craftsman from Croatia. He programs, works for GitHub, and enjoys traveling the world. So this is going to be a fun one. Uh, let's get to it. All right. Welcome to the show, Mislav. How you doing? Hi, John. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, first off, was I even close on pronouncing your name? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough name. My name is pronounced Maroknic. <laughs> Maroknic. Maroknic. Yeah. Okay. And I actually, I'll, I'll admit, I actually found like a, you had like a little recording that one of your friends made of your name. So I was <laughs> attempting to learn how to actually pronounce it. Yeah, I was, uh, since I live in uh, countries which are um, not my own often and people have a mm-hmm. problem pronouncing my name, I was once complaining to a friend back from Croatia. She just took my iPhone and s- pronounced my name into it and <laughs> handed it back to me and said, here, now you have it. You can upload it on, online. <laughs> So you I just did point that. people to it. Yeah. <laughs> it helped out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I want to get into um, how you ended up working at GitHub and stuff, but let's start out with how did you get into programming and to begin with? Was it something you were already, always interested in? Were you just kind of toying around with it when you were growing up? How did it all kind of start out? Yeah, it started out, I think, at uh, when I was getting into college. Um, and... I think I was, at the time, I was mostly interested in graphic design, uh, like kind of as a hobby. So I was dabbling in Photoshop a lot, and I had some ideas, and I was also drawing like a little bit of art um, by hand and like looking how to digitize it and like transforming it into some um, vector art um, mm-hmm. using Adobe set of tools and things like that. So I wanted to put some of this stuff online. It wasn't very good. I was just beginning, but you know, everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so. So I wanted to put like an online gallery. So I wanted to make my own. Um, and to kind of make any kind of like site that is you know, just like static, a few things, um, I wanted to make it a little bit dynamic. So I mm-hmm. wanted, I needed to learn a programming language. So I started learning that. And one thing led to another. And suddenly I'm coding these complex websites <laughs> and kind of left the graphic design career, uh, not career, but mm-hmm. uh, the hobby, it kind of left it behind. And getting more and more into learning all the kind of little tricks, how to, um, how to create dynamic things on a computer and online. Do you remember was, what the, your first programming language was? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was PHP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still very popular, one of the most popular languages for making websites. Yeah, definitely. And uh, in college, I remember we were learning C. So that's kind of like a basic um, language that's re- really useful to learn. Um, but uh, my college didn't help me a lot. Uh, it was kind of boring. <laughs> they taught us very uh, outdated technologies that are not used for like 10 or 15 years yeah. so i didn't learn really learn much there most of it was you know myself taught by you know other people on the internet from blogs and books and um mostly their other projects which i would read and, and follow and try to like 
understand how um, they're done and how um, other people in the open source world um, do projects themselves. So that taught me a lot. Yeah. So it was more of you just kind of figuring it out for your own devices to begin with and yeah, just kind of grew yeah. from there. Yeah. Uh, do you remember when you started programming professionally, like getting paid to do it? Yeah, I remember I was doing, uh, I was programming a ton in my free time and I was doing some open source uh, as well. So I gathered a little bit of attention and like doing open source is kind of like putting yourself out there and showing mm -hmm. that you can pull off a, a thing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's maybe like a, a non-critical thing or something that people are so doing. So you're publishing your code out there and other people can kind of see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So somebody just thought I was, at some point somebody thought I was good enough for them to approach me and ask, can I do this thing for them professionally uh, mm -hmm. for money? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, somebody approached me yeah. and says, can you do this thing you do for free and then we'll pay you. Right. Um, so I started doing stuff like that first, like my, maybe a first couple of gigs were in Croatia and then it was all abroad from then on, mostly US clients or UK or, you know, Netherlands and Spain and um, places like that. So sometimes it even how moved did, there. How did you keep getting, how did you keep getting work at that point? Was it just word of mouth type thing? Yeah, mostly networking through tech circles and open source and be going to conferences or things like that. But I would say it, it was mostly open source networking through that because I would meet Okay. I would meet and work on projects with other programmers and then somebody it was always the same story. Somebody's like keeping an eye out of what's happening and then um they might see me and some other people working on a bunch of stuff that they use themselves or need themselves, right? And maybe they need mm -hmm. something within their company that's along the same lines, but they wanted to pay for it and have it done for them. So it's their own code. And that's when, um, you know, that's when they reach out to me. And uh, it was mostly um, thanks to the fact that I exposed myself a lot and I was involved a lot uh, with collaborating yeah. with people online that, you know, people took notice. So it really pays to be a part of those communities out there and collaborate. And oh yeah, yeah, your code out. yeah. It's it's pretty amazing, and it's also the best way to learn, uh, because when you yeah. think about it, you can be a beginner, but you can be learning this way. You can be learning from a very good, very um, knowledgeable, professional people, and you might be working on this project which is just for fun and just in people's free time, but you can still learn a lot about managing. Um, a project, a collaboration, you know, designing a set of features, mm -hmm. um, and then just the art of programming itself. Uh, when you learn it by watching and doing it with other people who are more experienced, that's the best way. That's the best education you can get, much better than in yeah. any kind of college because you're in there on your computer, you're banging out code, um, and then you have these mentors around you who are willing to help you in their free time just because they're passionate about the project. So yeah. it's much better than a college professor. They're not even getting paid. Um, these people are not even getting paid to do you help to, to, to help you out. Uh, but they're doing it because they, they love 
their hobby uh, and they love their project yeah. and they want to help anybody else who is involved with their project. So open source space is really nice space um, in this regard for learning uh, that helped me a lot and helped me connect me to a bunch of my clients later on in the later years and eventually the place I work right now. Since we are, um, GitHub is a huge open source platform um, f where people can host their projects for free. So right now I mm -hmm. would say it's the number one place in the world on the internet uh, where you can publish your open source project. And so they're all about open source, right? So they invited me when they noticed that I uh, do a lot of projects that they are using themselves, familiar themselves. Uh, and maybe I worked mm -hmm. with a, uh, a couple of them on their own projects. Uh, so they already had kind of work experience with me, but not professionally, right? Yeah. But it helps a lot. Like, imagine if you have an, an interview, a, a new person who is, uh, who you already kind of worked with for a year, years on Yeah, that's, something. that's the best kind of interview. <laughs> yeah, and they, they really get to know you, and and, and it's great. It's a, it's a great, um, it's a great way to show off your skills. And um, Well, so leading into this a little more, was it before you started working with GitHub or uh, after when you when you kind of started connecting the fact that you can kind of disconnect from location and, and live a lifestyle of traveling around the world and, and still working at the same time? How did that all come about? Oh, it was definitely before. I remembered that when I realized that I don't have to be in one place to work for my clients, I also realized that I'd like to visit sometimes my clients if, if is that, that's possible, if they want me to. Mm -hmm. So uh, they might, you know, fly me in so to hang around there and maybe help me out with accommodation while I'm being there. So mm -hmm. I would move uh, different different countries a lot. But most of most of the moving I did and traveling I did, I did by myself. I would be working remotely, but I would just not uh, have to stay in Croatia. Mm -hmm. And then I just started traveling first around Europe and then South America and then North America. Um, and for me, it was all about just figuring out how long I could stay in a certain country that I like uh, <laughs> without, you know, <laughs> getting fined for overstaying or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. How, um, how did, did you, did you always have kind of a travel bug or was it more like once you started doing these remote jobs, you, you were like, Hey, I could do this a little more. Yeah, well, I think I, I had the travel bug um, unrelated to the fact that I was mm -hmm. working <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it really helps me to connect the two because, yeah. you know, work enables me to do this. And also it's a good excuse to travel somewhere. And I always, uh, I always like excuses when traveling. So whenever I travel, I, I kind of find the, the, the 
tiniest little why should I go to this town? Maybe I just heard something or there's a person who I know there or, you know, this country or something like that. And so then I say to myself, well, then I have to go <laughs> because of that <laughs> one little thing. So I can't get any kind of excuse. And uh-huh. yeah, uh, so my, my travel is powered exclusively by me saying to myself, oh, I need to go there because of that one little thing that's, you know, maybe yeah, inconsequential, that... but, you know, I just want to check it out. And then I stay for yeah. three months or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of go with the flow, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> How do you balance the the work side of it with with the travel? I mean, how do you find the time with all these exciting adventures? <laughs> do you just kind of, you know, certain days of the week you're like, all right, I got to just focus on getting some work done, and then then just kind of go out and have experiences the, the other days. How's that work for you? Yeah, it's pretty hard to balance it out and especially because I'm the kind of person who gets excited and distracted about everything that's new. So <laughs> if I'm in another country, I'm the least what I'm interested in right now is sitting with a computer on some Wi-Fi and sitting for six hours straight and just doing work. Um, that usually mm-hmm. doesn't happen. I always think they will and I just force myself to do it, but it kind of never works out this way. And I end up jumping from place to place and meeting people or um, just walking a lot in like a strange new place. And uh, I realized that even though that like plan never worked out for me, that I would like block, have like these blocks of of my time dedicated to just sitting down and being really serious and working. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that I do quite good work when I'm offline, so I might not manage to find uh, a place with a Wi-Fi or something like that, which is quite often, actually. Yeah. Even in uh, big cities like Vancouver, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, is notorious for being able to uh, being not able to find free <laughs> Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> in good Wi-Fi, yeah. uh, which is frankly shocking for Western. Uh, big city of yeah. its size, yeah. And I would do a lot of work offline because I um, have everything set up on my computer. So if I just open my computer and I have all the sites that I'm working on set up on there, so I don't really need the internet to work. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I needed to up- upload what I did or sync up, check up emails, uh, work-related things, uh, work-related communication. So what I would do is I would work for a couple of days offline. Maybe I'll be somewhere just chilling with lots of free time. Maybe there's no Wi-Fi, but I would just take my computer and um, do a bunch of work. And that work would be much more focused Mm -hmm. because I will be offline, right? So I couldn't even, I was tempted to, maybe I should check my Facebooks and all the new people that I'm connecting with here or something like that. Um, I wouldn't be able to do that, right? So the only really option I would have on my computer to do is actually just catch up with work a little bit. And then a few days later, I might find an internet connection and then just sync everything up, just upload everything that I did and uh, pull down the latest batch of emails and go through them and see if something's really important. And then for the next three days or four days, think about the latest round of emails and feedback from my colleagues and work a little bit on that 
and then make these cycles that are like three or four days long of uh, going from extremely focused work while I'm offline to extremely brief and efficient uh, communication pattern, which is mm-hmm. me just getting synced with like, you know, with, you know, the latest updates and like uh, what are the latest thoughts of my coworkers and maybe they reviewed some of my code and then react to it in my own time. So, so let, let's talk a little bit more about what type of travel you do. I mean, is, are you like rich and you stay in these fancy hotels or is it more like down to earth budget traveling and, you know, kind of talk about how you get around the world and see so many things? Well, when I, when I was younger, when I was a student, obviously I was like, like most of this, I was broke. Uh, mm-hmm. So my traveling was uh, maybe to the like, next country or some of the countries in Europe that are kind of close. So a bus ticket isn't too expensive. And then it would be on a budget. It would be me trying to figure out who I can couch surf or, you know, which friends I can crash with. Or if it was on the creation coast, it would be camping with very little pocket money and um, getting hands of tuna and living off, you know, <laughs> very little uh, on every day. Yeah. But when you're like on creation coast, you don't really need much. You know, you have the sunshine, you have the sea. Um, you can always go in the forest and try to find berries <laughs> if you're really hungry. I, I did that often, actually, yeah. And when I started getting these jobs and I started getting paid, then I would guess at one at some point I, I couldn't really say that I am um, can't afford uh, like a higher leg of travel. But I, mm-hmm. I, I always to this day kept, kept resisting it. It's, it's always my last resource, right? Um, and even though I can right now can afford to rent apartments just for myself or to go in the hotels uh, because I have a full-time job, I still prefer to couch surf um, or to just sleep outside. So it's not co- uncommon for me it, if it's not raining to just go sleep in a park or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I just like to keep myself reminded of like trying to resist this lifestyle inflation that happens. And lifestyle inflation is when you have more resources in your life, so then you have this tendency of expanding them more uh, mm-hmm. to to uh, kind of level up a notch of like what is the sort of thing that your expenses are, and yeah. then you end up spending more. And then it doesn't matter so much that you're making more money maybe on a new job, which is better paid because you're started to spend more, right? So mm-hmm. uh, this is this is natural. I'm not immune to that. So I definitely, there's a huge difference on how I spend when I was 21 and right now, 10 years later. So what do you think the benefits are to uh, to traveling the way you still do? I mean, do you, do you feel like you meet more people and have more interesting experiences on top of, you know, not, not inflating your expenses and all that. Oh yeah. 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 This is the best for like meeting new people and exposing yourself to new people in a culture. This is the best way, right? The most isolating way to travel is to go to a hotel or go to like a summer resort Mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the last countries that was like a, a tropical place I was was uh, um, the Philippines, and and the Philippines tourism is um, 
the high-end tourism is all about these fancy resorts, these incredibly expensive resorts that are always this huge, uh, it's kind of like mansion-like things that are walled off um, <laughs> with, a, with a huge wall. So they're almost like fortresses. And yeah, their own complex. Yeah, they're designed to be this kind of completely integrated experience of they provide everything for you and they take care of everything. You just sit in there and relax and um, your whole experience of this country would be just this one resort almost mm -hmm. unless you, you know, try to like decide to venture outside and like go do your own thing. But most people don't you just like, hang out in there because that's what they paid for. That's the experience they paid for. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, if, if you're into that and you have the money to cover that, yeah, completely. That's, that's a legit way of staying. It's for me though, it, it's traveling for me is all about trying to figure out how I can, um, act differently or be a different person or expand my perspective a little bit, uh, mm -hmm than I'm used to. And, 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 and for me, travel was all about just exposing myself and challenging myself on physical comfort and my, you know, emotional comfort and my worldviews and something like that. So it's basically challenging yourself so that you can grow, you know, so you have this feeling that you're growing, that you're learning. And um, these kind of predefined ways of staying in new places and experiencing new places like booking a whole like tourist arrangement or something like that they're mm. not really the way to go if you really want to expose yourself and that those are the ways that you're less likely to meet people and yeah, the ways exactly. that you're more more likely to be meet people like the way you and i met is that you crash in other people's couches <laughs> you know you you, you get closer to like more social with the locals and the way they spend like their time um, and, you know, try to understand what are that, their values and um, try to, yeah, kind exactly. of, to kind of fit into that. And that worked really great for me because this is what I'm out for when I'm traveling. I'm, I'm out for like, trying to meet new people and trying to understand how they function and see what I could learn from them and I could learn from yeah. this culture. And this is, I only have this if I, um, if I don't isolate myself. Uh, yeah. And I feel like if you're, you're staying at hotels and stuff too, it's, you almost just become that tourist. You're like, okay, I'll go see the sites and blah, blah, blah. And then you come home and you're by yourself. And it's just, it's such a different experience when you're out there meeting people and just walking down the street and you know trying to find some place to crash <laughs> yeah yeah it's but barcelona is a really good example of a city that's multi-layered and multi-layered mm -hmm. in a way that depending on who you are and how you act and approach your 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 stay in barcelona is you're going to experience the city completely differently and i've heard a lot of different accounts a lot of different experiences and also there's this uh there's a couple of movies um, that are um, that are famous, like I don't know. Um, I think Woody Allen has uh, Wiki Cristina Barcelona yeah. and and some others, where you also get it's you also get to see a city from the perspective of the characters who are living there, and 
I had my own perspective of living there for almost a year. Um, I had other people's perspectives. I have the locals' perspective and locals being either Catalan people or maybe Spanish people who are moved there or and trying to um, integrate in the Catalan culture. And it's multilayered in a way that like all of these people's experiences are can sometimes even be not even connected. So it can be a completely mm. different city based on what you're looking for and what you're willing to expose yourself for. It, it, it can be so many different things that it's, it's, it's incredible. And uh, Barcelona is a very touristy place. So you can definitely have this predefined, um, very limited view of Barcelona from a touristy perspective. But if you want to get outside of that, you'll have to kind of break out of the constraints of, of just going to see the sites and just staying in a hotel or something like that. And that's when it like gets interesting, yeah. So you you actually will sometimes find a place where you decide you're gonna stay there for an extended period of time. Is that just kind of happened organically? Like you're, you're there for a couple of days and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna, I like this place. I'm just gonna stay here until I decide I wanna move on. Yeah, uh, if the visa, visa permits, and usually visas are pretty, for most countries, they're pretty chill. You can stay up to three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, you probably have to go out. I would come for maybe one specific thing, as I told you, maybe an excuse or something like that. <laughs> and then I would see how I feel there. And if I felt, you know, if I felt good and I managed to connect with people or something like that, then I might be staying for as long as I can. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the the trip that I met you on this past summer? What what was kind of the plan for that, and um, and then maybe lead up in we can lead up into your Burning Man experience a little bit because I want to talk about that too. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, well, the trip I met you on was one of the final legs of, of my travel, the, the first time around, like completely around the globe, uh, which. At first, I never had this plan of having such a long travel, uh, but I was motivated by a friend who wanted to uh, go with me. Um, for most of his travels, we were traveling together, but you, you never met her because mm-hmm. she, she wasn't at that time in Portland. She had this idea for us to go like on a road trip or something like that, some kind of vague idea. And, and, and she said to me, you know, we should do this sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I was thinking mm-hmm. we might go for a couple of weeks for a road trip or something like that. I even got a driver's license so I can, um, I never before had the driver's license. So I got one in, you know, in case that we do this thing that I can actually, you know, participate in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I said to her, all right, I got a driver's license right now. So let's do this thing. What do you have in mind? And she said to me, well, I had in mind for us to go uh, maybe start from Asia and go from there and maybe like five or six months. And my reaction <laughs> was like, uh, wow, because <laughs> I thought we were going to be in <laughs> Europe, bigger than I expected. Europe road trip for like five, mm-hmm. four or five weeks, right? So she had like at least five <laughs> or six months in mind. So we sat down and planned the itinerary a little bit uh, and like just figured out that because of some things that I want to catch in North America, uh, like a thing I wanted to catch in Canada and uh, Burning Man as well, that after Asia, the, 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 the trip should take us to, um, to North America. 
um, to a few places along the West Coast and uh, then uh, back to Europe, completing kind mm -hmm. of the, the, the circle. In uh, Portland was one of the last places uh, I've been on this trip when I met you. And yeah. it was around the time that uh, I think I was preparing to go to Burning Man after that. Uh, and it was... Uh, it was a really it was a really great year. So this long trip kind of took almost a year. Was this the first time you've done a trip this long? Yeah, kind of around the world thing. Well, kind of uh, the first time I've done a trip that was actually planned out as this is how it's you know roughly mm -hmm. how it's the itinerary is gonna look like, and that I knew from like after this country I'm going to this one and after that one and eventually I'm gonna end up where I started at from Slovenia. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was most planned uh, trip I ever had. It wasn't like super planned, like everything in detail, but there were, there were at least plane tickets, you know, the, the, the itinerary of, okay, now I'm in Vietnam and I know that I have a ticket for Philippines in the, in two weeks. So this is the only time I have is this two weeks. Uh, so at, at one, one aspect of that is that keeps you moving. Um, so mm -hmm. that's good. But the other, other aspect is like if you are, you know, start to be enamored with a country <laughs> where you are or um, place where you are right now and you want to stay longer, um, you really can't because that will just mess up all the other plans. So yeah. um, it's, it's gives you good. reason to go back though. <laughs> yeah, it gives you a reason to go back, right? So it's yeah, to have an itinerary like that, complex one, it's it's good and bad for um, at the same time. So do you think just traveling in general and, and meeting all these different peoples and cultures have really helped you kind of shape your worldview and and grow from kind of, you know, maybe the way you thought things were supposed to be to to some new ways of thinking? Yeah, definitely. As I said earlier, for me, it's all about gaining perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very... If you just keep and stay in one place and um, just live a life based on and shaped on the, the this norms and societal expectations of, of the culture that's immediately around you at that place, you're just going to have the experience of what that is and how that is. And you're just going to have the perspective that's... Uh, present in, in that situation, which is going to be a very narrow and limited perspective. So, 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 so traveling for me is, is challenging, me challenging myself that what I think about the world is narrow and limited and, um, and that it's something that I'm constantly saying to myself, whatever I think I, I, I know um, about the world, it's probably not well-informed right mm -hmm. so i kind of say to myself i uh, kind of almost like pick on myself saying hey you, you think you know stuff but probably you don't so why don't you go check that out and whenever i do it's i kind of confirm my own like yeah confirm my own assumption and that is like wow i really did not understand i really did not know and uh but on one hand that's you know a little bit uh you, you get to know what kind of a jerk you were before. <laughs> but on the other hand, you get to learn. So that's always valuable. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think uh, I think everyone's local media kind of re- reinforces those stereotypes of everyone else. So unless you get out there, you really can't. You really don't have any other way of knowing. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so going from that, talk about your Burning Man experience a little bit. Maybe briefly describe what Burning Man is and what interested you in it, and um, if you had any preconceptions before going, and if they were challenged or met in any way, and kind of just talk about the experience a little bit. Of course. Burning Man was an event I would be hearing about from a bunch of people I knew on in North America, uh, mostly in the U.S., uh, but later some people that I met from Canada as well. Mm-hmm. And it was some something that I was hearing about all over and over again for a couple of years and knew some friends that were going, uh, but I never had a, a good picture in my head of what it is. So I did a lot of reading online and, and went to um, their official website and download the guides and started going through the like the introductory beginner guide stuff which is mm-hmm. really, really well written and um, published by them and I immediately fi- found myself liking the the 10 core concepts of, of Burning Man so, so maybe I should say what Burning Man is Burning Man is a, a week-long event in Nevada desert um, which is a, a community of people getting together. And in the later years, we're talking about 70,000 people or more mm-hmm. um, getting together to build this city um, and live in it in a week and then tear it down and leave no trace at the end of the event. It's pretty amazing. Um, and it, it is pretty, it's a pretty amazing concept. So my initial misconception of Burning Man is that it kind of demonstrates that that utopia can exist, that people can build this utopia or, or like a sustainable new kind of society. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's really not true, especially if you think about that, that the city is done in a desert. Right, so there is <laughs> not so sustainable there. <laughs> it's really not so sustainable. There's no water. There's no food. It's it's dependent. The whole the whole event is dependent on people doing preparation beforehand and collecting all the resources and bringing it in the city, and then even so, it's challenging for a lot of people. Just physically challenging to to be in the desert for a week um, because of the sun and the dryness and. Um, mm-hmm. the fact that you always forgot something or you underestimated how much water you will need. <laughs> and um, it, it's, it, it really doesn't demonstrate that utopia exists because really a sustainable, another kind of sustainable society would have to demonstrate that it is sustainable and to be, operate as an isolated system for you know, a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. But they, that was never by themselves, uh, but in, from their own mouth, that was never their goal. So That was just kind of something you heard rumor-wise? Yeah, that's that's a, something. something that you either maybe hear rumor-wise or get this idea yourself because that's what you're expecting of this event to be. You're expecting, yeah, yeah. oh, these are the people who are, you know, unhappy about 
like the the, the the society they have around themselves right now so they want to demonstrate how they can like make something better and partly that's true yeah. that's true it is uh, like a, a lot of a lot of people a lot of burners do really have a lot of need and ideas for their immediate surroundings to be um uh, reshaped in certain ways but the purpose of the event is not to to make a utopia the purpose of the event is to demonstrate that things don't have to be in your life that the way that they are right now so and you also don't have to be pretending that you're the person that you're pretending to be right now right mm -hmm. so we're all i say pretending like I don't mean a bad thing. I'm, we're all mostly playing roles in in our lives, and the roles are different. Maybe you're somebody's uh, boyfriend, or you're a brother, or you're a coworker of somebody, and and these are all different roles, mm -hmm. right? And we 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 play by playing the roles. I'm saying we we are uh, at a different situations or depending who are we spending time with we you're boxing yourself into this uh set of this is who i am and this is the way i should behave and these are the expectations of this person or the people around me um, yeah and it's something you don't even really realize and yeah of course you don't, you don't even realize process. right so on one hand it is a way to demonstrate to people around you that you're part of the group that you're part of a society so it's a signal to them saying hey i'm i'm participating i'm listening i'm reflecting your values and i'm trying to internalize them right but when it backfires is when it like severely limits people or uh, has people brings them to a point where they ignore their own needs right um mm -hmm. so smartest thing I ever read about Burning Man being described was Burning Man is not supposed to teach you how to think outside the box. It's only supposed to show you that the box exists. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. That for me, I think it's the shortest summary of what it is supposed to be. It's a demonstration of that things really don't need to be the way that you think they are and that you can and have the option of surrounding yourself with a different kind of people if you want the people who are meeting your like who are you are able to meet your needs more closely with and maybe express yourself in different ways that you might have wanted to but you were never able to so That's really cool. those <laughs> core concepts that i that i uh mentioned one of maybe the first two of them literally are radical self-expression and radical self ex uh, radical acceptance so radical self-expression mm -hmm. about you being free to express yourself in any way that you know that you want um as long as you're not stepping over somebody else's boundaries right but as you're concerned you're free to do absolutely everything act in any kind of way you like uh, and and also dress any kind of way you like and just live that week mm -hmm. uh whatever you feel like day to day minute to minute and radical self uh, and, and radical acceptance is about being accepting that others will be the same way as well so you will meet people that are completely different to you you will meet people kinds of people that maybe you thought before you had prejudice against them or it might be some 
type of people that you thought you never liked, but you're going to be challenged on that during the event. You're going to be challenged mm-hmm. on your own, uh, the stereotypes which you have, um, that you nurture and the, 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 the preconceptions of different groups of types of people, they're all going to be challenged. And, and what you should come to the event with is an open mind and an open heart and, and, and surrendering yourself and saying, well, even though, you know, my, you know, perception of a lot of things is very limited. I'm trying, I'm going to come in this place and for a week, I'm going to try to not be judgmental. Mm. And that's the most amazing effect of the whole. In my personal experiences, this is the most transforming and amazing effect of the whole event is that you have 70,000 people <laughs> who come into a city, live together for a week and have their guards lowered so much or non-existing and being non-judgmental so much that it, it's it's amazing it's fascinating what's result results out of that is so powerful that i totally understand now what they call post-burner depression and post-burn depression is when people (laughs) after the burn they go back to their life everyday lives and they experience this you know sadness and this depression of Mm -hmm. that they now having to go back to their everyday life and reintegrate with whatever the environment was uh, when they're not on Burning Man and yeah. and find out that, have to remind yourself that this environment is more hostile and is less accepting of you and uh, that you're less able to express yourself and that you're less free. So definitely shows you you're gonna go back to the box right and and for the first time you're realizing this and 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 that fills you with sadness that first of all you never realized that before and also like why can't i just stay there and but as we talked about yeah you you can't really stay in a desert you can't yeah. live in a desert so what people do is just organize local burn events so they're trying to keep the spirit of this culture alive by uh reaching out to people that are geographically close to them, you know, in the same local communities mm-hmm. uh, and organize events together and hang out and um, do all kinds of activities together. So the people are keeping it alive other than just that one week in a year. So did you have a, a kind of a post Burning Man depression or do you feel like you kind of, kind of live outside of the box enough that it, it doesn't didn't affect you as much as it might some people yeah i didn't have such a huge effect going back from burning man uh a negative effect because you know if you put it in the context burning man was just one of the places i've been you know switching different places and and and, yeah. and, and cities and in countries almost every two weeks uh, in the past like six months, right? So it, it wasn't. Yeah, so you've been out of your comfort zone for yeah, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was nothing for me to come back to. There was no this yeah. like everyday life for me to come back to. So I can experience this huge change. But I did experience one particular thing 
that completely ruined it for me, the Burning Man completely ruined for me, is, is parties in general, you know, nightclubs and something like that. Something that I mm. generally enjoy, and uh, especially when I'm with a really nice group of people who I know. And um, I remember I came back to San Francisco after, after Burning Man. And then we went out somewhere. And so after partying with you know, to electronic music for a week in the desert, um, I'm mm. at this quite big and quite popular San Francisco club. And I I just couldn't stand it. I was standing there and I was looking at other people and I just, I was so appalled and shocked at how people behave in our normal community, our, our mainstream, you know, well, I shouldn't say community, but our mainstream culture of how young people behave in, in clubs, which is like com- the way they treat each other, the way or? they treat each other, like completely non consensually, uh, like almost like an utter disregard for people's like personal space or, you know, needs or, or something like that. It, it was, it was just like being thrown into like, a, you know, into a cage with you know some <laughs> wild animals you know not not people yeah. right it was it was a huge difference so maybe prior to to coming to burning man i was thinking that wow it's 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 probably going to be nuts at burning man because there's going to be so much people that are on the effects of drugs and and drunk and yeah. s- sometimes at the same time that all sorts of things are happening then up there. And and indeed, all sorts of things are happening, but necessarily bad things. People are incredibly up there respectful of each other, um, even though they might be under the influence of, you know, intoxicated or under the influence of some substances or something like that. But they are really conscious about that during most of the time, and they're really respectful. And what I saw going back to the way that people have fun in the mainstream society, in the Western society, is that it's mostly based on whatever's the opposite of respect. I can't even describe it. And mm-hmm. and and also not very conscious, not very conscious of you, who you are, of your surroundings. Uh, and, and that really bummed me out. So I remember really not being able to have fun uh, in there <laughs> because I was... Uh, I was just too sad about how people are acting around me. Uh, and to realize that they were always like this way is just that I never saw the other side of it. I never saw people that are completely on the other end of the spectrum who are so yeah. much more respectful yeah. and conscious about themselves and each other in the same space. Uh, that, yeah, not, I felt that that was ruined for me. But that's not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing, right? It's, it's a good thing yeah, in a definitely. way that now I will seek out spaces and events, w- which is more about, mm, con- you know, more about respect and less about uh, being obnoxious completely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy how much perspective you can gain and what, what, how that changes the way you see things. Um, I, you you kind of mentioned... Um, when you left Burning Man that you, you didn't really have like a place to go or a home to go to because you've been traveling so long. I think I, I, I looked on your Facebook recently and you said you typed something up in regards to an article one of your friends posted that used a picture of you. Mm-hmm. And I think it said something, I, I copied it here, so I'll just read it. 
two months ago, I was going through a rough patch in my life, and I remember saying to someone, I'm ready to be taken back home, but I don't know where home is. Can you talk about that a little bit and just maybe some of the challenges of, of traveling long term and how that has affected you and, and maybe what you meant by that statement? Yeah. I, that was when I was in, um, on my next visit to Canada, I wanted to see a bunch of people that I um, have met there and uh, explore like a new relationship there uh, that kind of didn't work out and something else in Melody didn't work out at the same time. So I I was, I, I literally said that to my friend feeling that I've reached like a situation in my life where I just don't, I just want to go to a secure place, you know, mm-hmm. like a predictable place, just like idle there for a little while, just not to have to be constantly on the move and figuring stuff out. So I was just, you know, you, you, you reach this point, like maybe you're physically exhausted, right? So you need some rest. So for me, it was... I was, I guess, emotionally exhausted, and I just yeah. needed to reduce the 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 input, you know, all the um, all the new stuff that's happening, and it's really hard to reduce the input when you're just constantly on the move, right? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I said that realizing that for me, there's, I I don't think for me there's this safe place, this like kind of predictable place, this place that I can come back to. Yeah. Do you go back to Croatia much? Or oh, yeah, at back, least like every year or maybe two times a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely, I, I like coming back to there for a short while, but it doesn't feel like I visit my couple of my friends and I visit my family and all of them are really nice and, and great and mm-hmm. everything. But it's just like uh, when I'm down there, I don't really feel... It's it's not home in the sense of that I just want to be staying down there because whenever I stay down there for a longer yeah. time, like maybe a few weeks or, or months, I, I I feel misplaced. I I feel like I'm not part of the that culture, and I'm definitely not. I'm I'm very different than what a um a, what typical creation is like, and uh, mm-hmm. because of the differences, that what motivates me to travel in the first place. I'm seeking out people who I couldn't connect with more closely and uh, seeking to expand my perspective more than I could have if just stay down there, something that we talked about earlier. But at that point, I was was thinking about coming back to Croatia because that's the closest thing I can call home. That's where the family is. You know, family is great. They're always your safety net of whatever goes wrong in your life. You know, the family is the ones that by default should always be there for you. And and mine definitely is. I once, uh, on my travels to, U- one of my first travels to U.S., I, I broke a collarbone. So I came Ooh. came back to Croatia with a broken collarbone to have it operated. And I just stayed uh, with them because I have nowhere else to stay for a couple of months until it was healed. Um, and that was really good. That just demonstrates how... Um, it's valuable to have this group of people that will be looking after you by default and, you know, no questions asked. Yeah. asked. So that was really nice. Um, it's just that when I have a choice and, you know, when, when I'm, you know, if, if I'm picking um, how I want to spend my time, I, I'm more about um, 
finding the the the, the people that are you know that I can learn from and that are closer to the way I mm-hmm. you know I think and behave and and this is the kind of the sort of the burning man type of people people who are yeah. <laughs> you know more about self-expression and more about acceptance of others and less about rules and norms and restrictions and things like that so yeah back to the concept of home one of the challenging thing yeah. of one of the challenging things for me of travel was that it it forces you to rethink what are even these concepts like what is even home because mm-hmm. I, I i think that might be even the next question which my friend had for me is like well what is home for you then like what is it a place is it a specific group of people is it your family like what what is home because when people say home they they, they can mean different things right mm-hmm. and, and that kind of caught me at guard because i just said i don't know where home is but i i didn't really think very hard about what precisely for me the word home means the concept of home means and uh it travel yeah challenges you to to rethink concepts that you before took for granted and you thought that everybody understands what they are uh and to realize then that no it's it's nobody understands what they are because everybody has a different idea Mm. you know it's not a bad thing that everybody has a different idea but it is a thing that you should keep in mind when discussing it or when dealing with something or you know in, in conversations with other people you should keep in mind when you're discussing concepts that are can be completely different based on who's talking so how did you cope with that particular situation in the end did you just kind of pull back and and hang out with some friends and kind of relax or yeah i i i just figured that i need to be i just at at, at that point i just wanted to hang out with friends so i came to mm. i was close to vancouver so i came to vancouver and i was just i was hanging out um sleeping at people's couches or guest rooms there um that were friends that I met uh, on my last travel there earlier that year. And that helped me a lot, just being able to relax and not worry about anything for a while. Uh, And also like seeing other people's lives and how they function and what are they struggling with and how they operate and communicate with other people and how, how friendly and, and close they are with each other, that was like really inspiring for me. So I was just able to not think about myself and like obsess too much about yeah. <laughs> where I am in my life right now. I was just able to be this observant observer of a, a very nice set of people and the community they build around um, their mm-hmm. lives and the values that they're, you know, uh, nurturing and, and for me it was like a nice therapy just to you know just to put myself in this observer mode and uh, and uh, be inspired by by their example of uh, what how I can then approach dealing with my own things and yeah. what some of the people there said to me is that you know maybe for me the home is 
distributed place. It's not like a physical, a geographical region, you know? Mm-hmm. So it might be that for me, home is this distributed set of people that I know and, and love from around the world. And I just, it's not possible for me to physically be with them all at the same time because then I would have to be in the different continents at the same time and it just doesn't work right <laughs> um, yeah and uh, yeah i thought that was really i thought that was really good way to describe it because i, I do have yeah, often this need let's all just get together and hang out like mm-hmm. you know most of the time make a big party anything um and then to realize <laughs> that maybe in every city i just know a couple of people and then all of these people value uh, i value them a lot but it, it's it's i i can never i can only ever choose to gather them all yeah, up in one place you can never gather <laughs> them up so i can only ever choose to hang out uh physically with just a couple of people on one side of the world but then i yeah. can you know have to leave the other couple of people and uh and Eventually, when you're just constantly moving, moving, moving all the time, people get this impression of you, other people get this impression of you that you're just never anywhere, you know? You mm-hmm. you might have this idea that you are, like, everywhere all the time, that you're this world travel and you're, like, at all the different places all the time and you're conquering the world or whatever, but socially, you're just never there for yeah. enough time for it to matter right mm-hmm. so it's a challenge that like I, I find myself and and some people give me feedback that like i'm perceived as, as somebody who's like you can never count on me you know <laughs> you can like you cannot yeah. invest like you don't maybe you don't want to invest so much time into building up like a friendship or relationship with me because i'm going to be gone in two weeks right mm-hmm. and that's completely that was really valuable feedback because I completely understand that. That sounds so true. And unfortunately, that wasn't something that I realized by myself for the longest time. So I think maybe the next thing in my adventures would be trying to figure out where I can maybe stay for a longer while and and, and explore Mm -hmm. how it is to be somebody that other people can maybe rely on, you know, to be for them there at that place for a reasonable amount of time. so that's my plan for yeah. this year. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I have a couple more quick questions. Maybe we could go over, um, in terms of just kind of overcoming, I don't know. I don't know how much fear you have of like approaching other people or just maybe just in terms of pushing through your, um, through obstacles and stuff. Do you have any like habits or things that you do when you're traveling to like kind of get yourself out there? If, if you're kind of hesitant? Yeah, um, that's a really great question because I I was like a crippling, shy teenager. <laughs> um, and I can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lots of people can't imagine that uh, because like th- that's really not something that ever stops. You know, you don't get transformed mm-hmm. into a completely other way of thinking. It's it's really hard to to think different ways. So I am still. I never stop being very shy. I just manage to find ways that are not ways, but thoughts and ideas and needs that are more powerful than your need for safety and mm-hmm. you know for uh for other people to not 
you know, uh, not judge you too much or not like mm. that you're not exposing yourself much to other people. So you, you could, well, you could technically live your life by minimizing your exposure to other people. <laughs> For me, that wasn't, that wasn't what's making me happy when I was younger. And of course, it wouldn't make me happy when I'm right now. So the way to overcome that is because you just can't stop being shy, you, you find things that are more powerful than your need for safety. So maybe it's a need for connecting with somebody or a mm -hmm. need to uh, a need to go, you, maybe you want to travel to a, a different country, but you know, you're, you're not sure what you're going to do when you get there or what even like where even you should go or something like that. So you start reaching out to other people who might have insight or you start maybe reaching out to the people when you get there uh, because yeah. the need, you can all, like many people can often find that the need for connecting and being seen and being recognized and being understood might be oftentimes more powerful than your fears. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the trick of combating any fear is just to find another thing that's going to overcome it at some specific point. So yeah. They never actually go away. That's a lot of sense. Yeah, they never go away. <laughs> um, and and so for me, it's like really valuable then to be surrounded by the burner man kind of mentality of people because I'm shy and shyness means that you're generally over obsessing about people judging you, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. And then to be in an environment which is all about not judging people then is yeah. then to... Liberating. Yeah, it's liberating. And it's like for the first time in your life, you're experiencing how it is to be living in an environment where shyness wouldn't be a way you were, had to cope anymore because you're, you're not being judged all the time for every single thing. Of course, you know, you're always going to be judged on certain things. You're gonna, always going to be kept in check. It doesn't give you permission to act yeah, in any yeah. way you like, right? It's, it's not that. <laughs> but I'm just saying judged for like all the small things at all the time, the way you sit, the way you talk, the way you hold your spoon, you know, like people can yeah. obsess about like really trivial things. And I, I yeah, definitely... Yeah, trapped in that. Yeah, I definitely understand and remember how it is to be trapped within that. But... Uh, long ago, I just decided that I, I want to push and break out of that by finding stuff that's more matters to me more than just safety. And it's still there. Shyness is still there. And often I'm uh, yeah. the person, often I'm the kind of person who won't be outgoing and approach other people and start chatting mm. with them in bars or something like that. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Depends on how I manage to push myself forward you know did i manage to get myself this yeah. that boost or maybe someday i just feel really not in like maybe my shyness overcomes my other uh my other needs and other ideas so i then let myself fall back to the you know very closed and introvert like uh kind of person for a while and then 
I find a way to break out of that after some time. So it's you know, for me, it's yeah, switching yeah. back and forth. It's just mm. it's just surprises a lot of my long term friends when I tell them that I actually <laughs> struggle with first of all being shy and second of all with like introducing myself to people or start talking to new people or something like yeah. that. Because frankly, that's terrifying. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I I struggle with shyness too. I was extremely shy growing up, and I think that's part of the beauty of traveling sort of you know the kind of the way you are and and part of the reason that I took my bicycle trip was just because it's such a great way to force yourself to to kind of come out of your shell because you're just put into situations where you you almost have to (laughs) to survive you know yeah so uh it's a great way to overcome shyness by just kind of getting out there and alone on the road Mm -hmm. (laughs) for sure but uh do you have any advice for anyone that's Maybe interested in, in becoming a programmer or or doing programming. Like, where, what language should they start with? Is there any is there any kind of like best path at this point in time? Yeah. Well, programming has has evolved, uh, you know, since since the seventies and the eighties when it's started being the industry to 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 now. It has evolved from just a handful of very specific things to such a broad concept in industry right now that it's almost as if you ask some doctor like do you have some advice for people that want to (laughs) be interested in medicine or something and the doctor would tell you well depends on what right depends on what kind Uh so my advice to anybody who, who who would want to explore a world of that would just be to figure out like what specific aspects of that they're interested in. For me, that aspect mm-hmm. was uh, internet technologies and websites and stuff like that. Um, and that is one specific part of programming because somebody who is programming um, uh, like um, uh, systems in a car or something like that is, is doing completely so much different work than I do everyday life that we almost have nothing to talk about to each other, yeah. right? Uh, so I would suggest, first of all, like identify which area or aspect of it. For some people, that's robotics, or for me, that's web. And for some other people, that's maybe like integrated systems in transportation or houses, or um, there really is so much things that can be done in an industry. Do, do those other branches of programming, from what you know, have the same kind of community that the, the website does? Or... Is that something you're just not that familiar with? Yeah, well, not all the communities are the same, definitely. That's a good Mm -hmm. question. So the web side of programming has a particularly wide uh, and accessible community just because the web itself is wide and accessible, Mm -hmm. I guess. And uh, also there is much less obstacles to getting into it. If you think about it, to get yeah. into programming with the web is you need a computer and then you need an internet connection mm-hmm. and that's it. And everything's there basically. Yeah. So <laughs> if you just have those two things, you can become anything. You can be anything, right? Um, you don't really need much more. For me, it was constantly fascinating to meet some of my programming heroes and then yeah. to look at them on their tiny, like 11 inch laptop uh, that's like falling <laughs> apart, basically, like taped over with that's duct funny. tape, and just seeing like, wow, you know, like they're they have like they can do this amazing things with so little, you know. And yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to get into robotics, you can't just have 
you know, your computer and an internet connection, right? Now suddenly you need some hardware, right? Or something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, our community, I guess, is so wide because it's so accessible. Mm-hmm. And uh, the web community is really great because there's tons of events going on all the time, most of which are free to participate in. Um, there's always like a local community uh, that you can join. So if it's a reasonably sized uh, town or a city that you live in, there's a huge chance there might be like a meetup group or um, Mm -hmm. like an event that goes, a community organized event that goes around that might be, uh, that might be free to participate in or uh, to attend or maybe even just like a nominal fee or something like that or something yeah. really So you think a, a big part of becoming a programmer is, is joining these communities then? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, because a, a lot of people, there's this stereotype, which is not really true about uh, a typical programmer being this very anti-social loner, uh, working out from a basement and getting everything done. And that that's not really how it works. N- nobody gets anything done by themselves. So programming is a very yeah. social thing because uh, you're going to find that in a professional context, the only way you'll ever be able to handle projects of any reasonable size is that if you very closely collaborate with other people. Mm-hmm. And after that point, after some point, uh, it becomes less about computers and more about learning how to uh, how to collaborate with other people and how to attack a problem yeah. with you know the skills that each of the person has and merge that into you know reaching the desired goal. And it's very social. It's very uh, much about communication. And that's why I think events are so important. I don't think they're crucial in the sense that if you don't go to events and if you don't reach out to your local community you will never become good or anything like that i don't mm-hmm. want to say that but i'm i just say that everything in life is so much more easier when you have a support network around yourself right yeah, that's true so if you it's go all about people anyways right yeah <laughs> if you go to meetup.com and if you're into knitting you can just search in your city for a knitting group and you can literally <laughs> mm-hmm. sit down in a coffee shop and knit with other people, right? First yeah. of all, that will give you this boost. I'm going to get outside of the house. I'm going to go knitting. But then also it will, <laughs> you know, bring you closer to other people who are, have more some of other ideas about knitting and give you advice. And then you can just maybe pull up your chair next to another person and say, hey, this is like my knitting is not going very well and they're going to show it to you. <laughs> and it's going to be so much more, so much of a better experience than yeah. learning it by yourself from like a book or something like that, right? Uh, so it's, it's absolutely... It's a lot more motivating too when you have other people of course, acknowledging yeah. your work and helping you through it too. Well, th- this has been a really great conversation and you have tons of amazing insights just from your travels and experiences around the world and... Um, I really appreciate you yeah, thank talking you. with me. And um, before we go, though, maybe let people know where they can find you, your website or Twitter. Or what's the best way to follow you or find you? Well, um, m- my name is spelled M-I-S-L-A-V, and that's my also my Twitter handle. And that's also if, 
when you Google just my first name, it's my blog is up there as the first result. Uh, although like a lot of things that like my, my blog will be about programming and a lot of my tweets would be about technical stuff. So mm-hmm. some, some of my friends admit that, uh, <laughs> they don't follow me because yeah, I yeah. might be like too boring for them and I completely respect that but since like most of the what I've ever used Twitter since the beginning for was kind of stay connected with the community mm-hmm. I was in online and I was like mostly programming circles and open source this is my presence online right now and uh, you have a lot it, of philosophical writings there too though that deal with society and the and social norms and stuff which are pretty oh, yeah. interesting yeah. little reads so well that's 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 on facebook that's more uh and yeah of course anybody is welcome to follow me on facebook because i have most of the posts i do is public so uh for people who don't know me we never met they can still follow me on, on facebook and follow my public posts uh without like you know uh, as having to be added as friends or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed that maybe up to almost close to 100 people like take advantage of this feature, which, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm completely comfortable cool. in and I'm trying yeah, to yeah. Uh, publicize most of the um, things about myself. Uh, and um, this is uh, probably through my... Uh, to my blog and Twitter, I, th- I think people will be able to figure yeah. out how to get to my Facebook profile. Well, thanks again, Mislav. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. So you can follow me, John Jerko, at John Jerko on Twitter and Instagram, and find out more about Odyssey and Muse, including the show notes for each episode at odysseyandmuse.com. But most importantly, go to iTunes to subscribe and rate the show. That's how the show gets noticed and grows. So thank you for listening, and until next time, follow your true north.